Before we get started with this week's episode of The Tangent, I wanted to tell you about the newest podcast from Veritas Catholic Network. Father Sam Kachuba, the chaplain of Veritas Catholic Network and co-host of The Tangent, will be releasing a daily two-minute gospel reflection based off the Mass readings from the day. This is a super quick and easy way to start your day with the gospel, especially if it's difficult to find the time to listen to a full-length homily or podcast. Daily Gospel Reflections with Father Sam Kachuba is now available wherever you get your podcasts. A link to this new daily podcast is available in the show notes. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. My name is Matthew Sparaza. I'm Father Sam Kachuba. This is The Tangent. We're joined today by Father Father Colin Colin Blatchford. (laughs) (laughs) Father Colin Blatchford is... uh, the associate director of Courage International, and he's also uh, my roommate. <laughs> Father Blatchford is, is a resident priest at St. Pius X Parish in Fairfield, and I don't know how it's taken me so long to get you on this show, uh, but I'm really glad that you're here with us today. It's okay. I don't feel neglected at all. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Tell our listeners a little bit about what your ministry is and uh how you come all the way from the Diocese of Knoxville, Tennessee, to live in the Diocese of Bridgeport to minister in an international apostolate. So the apostolate, uh, Courage International, is a ministry within the Catholic Church to pastorally accompany those with uh, same-sex attraction and gender identity discordance who are trying to live their faith. Uh, According to the the gospel sort of teaching uh, regarding sexuality. We also work with, let's say, family members, parents, siblings, who are trying to maintain those relationships with individuals who might be in the lifestyle and have kind of uh, abandoned their faith. And so Courage International was started in 1980. Um, Cardinal Terrence Cook in down in New York uh, had this idea, looking around during the AIDS crisis, he said, you know, there's got to be something for these guys who are really trying to live their faith. We need to be supporting them. And so he turned to Father Bennett Groeschel and he said, no, I can't do it. I don't have the time. Um, but I know a guy, right? Uh, which, you know, I, I could just hear it in his voice, you know. Um, no, no, Cardinal, I can't do that. Um, and the guy's name was Father John Harvey. He's an oblate of St. Francis de Sales that lived in Philadelphia. And he had been doing this work with individuals and seminarians and religious for many years before that in his own minist- priestly ministry. And he would take the train up uh, every week and, and they would meet at uh, Elizabeth Ann Seton down in Manhattan. Uh, and the members came up with the name courage because they would have to live with courage in the world. Uh, and it would require courage to be, you know, to actually take all this stuff and, and live it themselves because they knew it would cut off relationships um, and change how they, they interacted with people. Um, and they actually came up with the five goals of courage. The five goals of courage are kind of like the guiding principles. And, and the basic the basic gist of them is uh, to avail ourselves of all the things that the church has to offer, spiritual reading, spiritual direction, frequent attendance at mass and frequent reception of the Holy Eucharist, uh, frequent uh, confession, to build good, healthy friendships uh, so that we don't have to go through this alone, so that we can share what we, what the love that we have and to live our lives as good examples to others. And so courage uh, is the way the, the the model sort of works is we have a, a priest chaplain in a, in a local area, usually a local diocesan priest. This is a, in addition to his many other duties that he does. Um, and the the men and women uh, come together uh, once a week or once a month, and they kind of check in. Father gives a little spiel. He says we they read through the the goals. 
to see how they're doing and they hold each other accountable and they pray for each other and he helps them uh, as a spiritual father to, to lead their lives, but also to plug them into the community. Um, and so we have chapters all over the world. Um, I think we're in 23 or 24 countries. We're in many of the dioceses of the US, many of the dioceses of Mexico. Uh, our, our Spanish uh, language sort of grouping of courage has just grown by, by leaps and bounds, thousands of people over the last few years, as that sort of culture has made its way down into Central and South America. Um, but if you wanted to kind of sum up the goal of courage or, or the mission of courage in a very simple statement, our goal is to help people to become the saints they're called to be, to truly lead holy lives. I don't. It doesn't matter if you have this orientation or that orientation or this struggle or that struggle. In the end, if we're living a life of virtue and holiness, everything else washes out. The Lord wants us to be with him and he wants us to be happy in this life and in the next, even in the midst of suffering. And if we live a life of virtue, we'll find that. We'll find people to be connected with so we're not lonely. We'll find uh, community. We'll find joy. And we'll find happiness. I like that. Yeah, that tracks. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of times we get this this notion that's kind of floating out there somehow that uh, the Catholic Church doesn't allow gay people. It's kind of full stop. Not like a. There's no nuance to the statement. There's there's no. Uh, what do you mean by that? It's just a sort of a, a broad and blanket statement. And I have found that courage is is something very powerful that I can point to as an apostolate that says no. In, in fact, we right. we really do actually want to walk with people in whatever their struggles might be. And in fact, the church doesn't just label people with. Uh, such a broad stroke, we we have a much more nuanced approach. Um, what has your experience been explaining that to people and talking to them about that? Yeah, you, Father Blatchford, sorry. Uh, it's okay. I'm not really talking to Matt, I'm talking to you. <laughs> okay, yeah. I figured he's, he's Matt, not that important. Matt doesn't know anything. Yeah. As we as we discussed yesterday, I'm here for one-liners and quips. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Well, I just, want, I just want to make sure. Um, so my, my experience that, that I've I've kind of encountered. So I got I got into courage ministry when I foolishly told my bishop that we needed it in the diocese, and he said, "Well, good, then you could be the chaplain." I said, "Okay." Uh, that's that's kind of how that all happened. And then uh, I I went to one of the annual conferences because we always have a clergy study day with our conference, so that uh, even even if a priest isn't a, a chaplain, he just wants to be more aware of pastorally how he can encounter with this, or maybe just have confidence. Um, or spend time with our members to get to know what what this is all about and see how how much they really love the faith and this isn't uh, this isn't an us them thing. Uh, it's all of us together, you know, seeking as imperfect people uh, joined by God's grace in the church, attempting to live holy lives. You know, um, what what I've found is that, uh, or uh, sorry, um, I so I went to the the conference to kind of see what that was like and eventually I, I, I went to another one and and then when I went to a third one they decided to ask me to work for them that's how I, that's kind of how I ended up here so mm-hmm. my that's that's where my experience kind of comes from is having worked for courage for about six years now and then I had worked before that with individuals who had struggled with sexual addiction and, and other addictions as well in uh, mm-hmm. what I've found in, in in all those cases and especially in courage is is that the take that people have, um, on, on what the church has to say is very much uh, connected with kind of kind of what their big habits are or what they what they've said whether it's true or false right like like uh, you know this is my most important need um, 
when we when like when we look at addiction, when you look at you know speak of somebody that has a like say an alcohol addiction or alcohol problem, there, there's a false belief that they carry that says, well, this is my most important need or my most important need is to not feel this and nobody else will take care of it, so I'll take care of it. And and it can be sort of phrased in many different ways, but that's what the 12 steps try to do is they try to open that up. We try to do that through the spirituality of the church. But the individuals, they're really trying to figure out what that is, what that false belief is, and, and it colors the way that they look at the church. So you see, the church doesn't, give a bunch of rules to weigh down, but rather she proposes a beautiful story from our Lord. You know, he, he's, you know, what's the purpose of sexual pleasure? Well, he tells us a story at the very beginning of Genesis and what it's for. And, you know, he has this beautiful understanding of, of, of cooperating with God in, in creation ex nihilo mm-hmm. to the creation of a new life that, that the love between two people bodily, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, socially, and intellectually, right has to give life it can't be it can't be intentionally barren i'm going to withhold this part of me it has to be open to to transforming others with that love and and so you see man and wife joined together and 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 the possibility of of a child the complementarity of the sexes and that reflects the trinity right and so the story that mm. is proposed rather than the rules given right is is that god has this very high ideal for sexual pleasure and and for relationships in general to imitate what he and his son and the holy spirit have um and and i think that's where it, it that's how i like to talk to people about it is to kind of like give them that well you know let's let's not talk about that let's you know when we communicate to each other we communicate in stories because it sets off mirror neurons and then you get sympathetic with me and you have similar emotions you're like oh man i can kind of associate it with this or that and like when we're really listening to somebody with our whole being like we get in tuned with them okay well that since that's how we communicate god's going to communicate to us in that in a certain way and so like let's look at the story that he has to tell us and then remember that our story right is not just what i feel and experience but it also is fit inside my family and it's fit inside my community and my church and so on and so forth. That's, that's kind of how I like to, I don't know, I guess approach it and, and, and present it because there, there's so much more to it than, well, you're just not, you're not a part of this group. The church wants everybody to be there. Praise God, it's for sinners. I, I'd be out of a job, man. Like, I don't know what I'd do. I'd be a giant fraud, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> but praise God, it's for sinners. And and the church always welcomes, and she doesn't say, "Well, you have to be at this level of not sinning to be here, right?" No, but she says, "I love you enough that, like, I can I can see that this isn't healthy, and I'm going to point in the right direction." But you have, still have to make that choice. You still have to want to be with God. You still, and and there are a thousand ways to do that. We don't have to, you know, say, "Well, you know, the Lord condemns this kind of, you know, if you read Numbers or if you read, you know, the Book of Judges, like the Lord condemns." Okay, yeah, that's absolutely there, but. Sometimes we just need to have a conversation with somebody about what love really looks like. You know, if I meet someone on the street and let's say I don't, I don't really know them, they just kind of see me as a priest and they say, "Well, what do you, you know, what do you, what do you think about, you know, what should I do in my marriage?" It's like, well, I, I don't know, right? So I might say something <laughs> like, "Well, you know, mar- <laughs> marriage is a unique form of friendship, and friendship is ordered towards the good of the other person and sacrificial love. So in your marriage, that's what you should do, right?" And I haven't even used the words of the gospel, but that's that's right out of Christ, right? right out of his words to live yeah. sacrificially for someone else. And so we have to be able to, we have to be willing to kind of be uh, uh what is it? Cunning as serpents, but innocent as doves. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, 
so you've got the idea of of loving profoundly and meeting people in in this place but again so often people boil the church's teaching down to just the black and white part of it mm-hmm. uh am i allowed to do this or that i like this approach that you take of saying well before we get into why am i allowed or not allowed to do this or that let's go back to the beginning let's go back to genesis like before you can get to numbers or deuteronomy or any of the 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 books of the law you first have to pass through genesis which tells us in the beginning this is how god created us and there's something very powerful about how god created us well i think it reflects like the fundamental principle of all the church's teaching which is the greatest commandment love god with your whole being love your neighbor as yourself not and nowhere there does it say and don't have sex in this way or don't steal this stuff like like all that stuff is based on that like it like you know and if and if our focus is honest like an honest assessment of did i really give god my all in this did i really love my neighbor as myself or or was i really trying to get something out of it for myself like all those other things can fall in place and this is what francis means when he when he talks about making sure that before we speak of the moral consequences we've We've introduced somebody to the love and compassion of Christ. They got to know who he is, right? You know, Christ showed the people how much he loved them before he said, go and sin no more, right? Like first he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to sit here in judgment over, you know, this woman that was caught in adultery. There's there's all sorts of cool, like first century Judaism sort of understandings that go with it. But like he was sitting in judgment as if he were the head rabbi at the point and they're accusing her, which means there's two eyewitnesses and he's he's running a little court and he lets her know that like, no, like, like you're loved. What's going on here is wrong. He lets them know that it's wrong. And they, and they're like, oh crap, we got to get out of here. And so they leave before he starts whatever, you know, like exposing their sin or whatever. And then she goes, she's told to go and sin no more, right? Like first she encounters his love. Then she encounters the moral consequence and then she avoids it, right? She goes and changes, she changes her life. Uh, um, we hope she changed it permanently, but you know, at least in the, in the moment. I think that's the fundamental the approach that is missing in a lot of Catholic schools, like like yeah. a- aside from aside from the work that that courage is doing and with the particular issues that courage is, uh, you know, helping people heal from and then and then essentially deal with. Right. Um, like, I mean, I know for me growing up, having gone to a Catholic school from literally pre-K to 12th grade, um, I don't think that I, and this is not a dig on Father Sam. It's always a dig on Father Sam. No, it's okay. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Because he was my chaplain. But, um, you know, I don't know that I got that that love story prior to the rules. Um, And so, I mean, that's why you see, I mean, like if if, if you're paying attention to a lot of Catholic schools, they actually usually have reputations for licentiousness. Like that is the rep that goes around for a lot of Catholic schools. Yeah. No, seriously. It is a, I mean, it is a stereotype I mean, that is not inaccurate. It's a stereotype, you know, and, but the reason it's a stereotype is because they're not getting that love story first, you know, and right. so it's just a rebellion against rules. And I think arguably, right, you're, you're more inclined to rebel, rebel against the rule because it's been thrown in your face and it seems to be like, well, why should I follow that? Mm. You know, um, also just slight segue, um, I really like that you refer to it as it's not an us and an a them, a them thing. Um, because let's face it, this is the problem that most people face. You know, it's just, it's just taking a, like a, a bit of a different form. Yeah. Um, obviously with, with the, the end result have it demanding to be a bit different, but sure. you know, well, 
this is something that that everyone. Well, and like I think there's, think. you know, to kind of get into bringing someone into the community, right, who's struggling with this and trying to get them engaged in a parish. Like, I, I don't know how to uh, really define it or explain it, but I just call it kind of a, I guess, kind of an ick factor. Like, on one level, you're like, oh, you struggle with that, oh, right, like. Well, yeah. I need to love you, so let's have a party for all of you, right? Like it's like like there's there's not yeah. a there's like a I don't know a seeing of of like less than or of different or like well that's just so unnatural or whatever. But like you know there there were three right. sins that cried out to heaven that were listed, right? Yes, you know homosexuality is one of them, homosexual acts, but so is you know taking advantage of the widows and orphans and not paying a fair wage or taking advantage of your employer. Now many right. of us shop at Amazon and Walmart. I happened to work at Walmart before. They take advantage of their employees. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. it's a terrible place to work <laughs> and they keep their health insurance <laughs> at just the right level that the person should be getting most of it covered by state medicare now now that doesn't sound like justice to me right and yet how many of us right. go and shop there i'm not saying we have to boycott them. i'm saying like we need to be circumspect in how we react to these things because the other part of it is i think we all have especially given the world we're in we all have some sort of sexual shame on some level or another. I, I, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people do, right? And I think yeah. there's certainly in yeah, this I, and I think that's that's a part of it. it's like, well, if I draw too close to that, will will my will my shame come out? Like, will somebody know? Will they be able to identify mm. it? You know, um, or and and right? Will I be a hypocrite now? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. Which you know. <laughs> None of us are hypocrites. We're all sinners, right? Like, I mean, a hypocrite is someone who has no intention of actually following the law. I have a lot of intention right. for following the law. I just stink <laughs> at it. Like when I get in the moment, <laughs> I forget about it or I'm like, oh man, that, that, that chocolate chip cookie's too dang good. <laughs> I know I'm full, but I'm going to have it anyway. But right right there, I think you you found the level playing field in, in that space where you have uh, a group that would typically be described as marginalized or feel like they're on the outside by reminding people of our our common sinfulness that's part of our common humanity well then we can actually start to to meet in those places all of us have have vices and things that need to be worked on um, and and here you're able to identify like this is the this is the thing that maybe is the the biggest challenge for you in the moral life, and for somebody else their biggest challenge might not be in the sexual realm. It might be something something else. Um, so we're gonna figure that out. But if this is the thing that is most burdening your soul, then we can help you with that. And so it's not a. I mean, our culture right now says you have to be defined by your sexual preferences and your sexual pleasures. And that's it. And that's the thing that should be number one on the list. And courage is saying actually something very different, that your identity, your dignity is found not in what you do uh, or to whom you are attracted, but rather your your fundamental purpose and, and essence is found in the fact that you're a child of God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's something like the culture is kind of, kind of messed with, right? Like, um, well, you're my age, Sam, but maybe Matthew could imagine uh, like an 80s movie or something. But like back when we were in school, <laughs> right? Like, uh, you know, six, six, 16 Candles or something like that, or, or The Breakfast Club, right? You had the jock, you had the, you know, I don't care. You had the you had the nerd. And like, like sure. and people would take these personas on and some of them would really dive into it. Others kind of moved in between them. So when you're looking at the psychological development that's going on during adolescence, they're, they're, they're tasting bits and pieces of, of personality. And they're trying to figure out 
how they want to start to build theirs so that it'll develop. It's not even going to be, it, it gets set somewhere between 25 and 30. Um, but like, they're just getting, they're just trying to figure that out. And what they've been told from a young age nowadays is like, well, if you have any strong emotions about anything, like that's where your happiness lies. And if anybody tells you it's not, like they hate you and they 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 want you to be unhappy for the rest of your life. And if it's a if it's a strong crazy. emotional feeling, <laughs> like it may or, or uh, sorry, if it's a strong if it's a sexual feeling, obviously that's what you have to have sex with. And if it's an, a strong emotional feeling, like it's probably sexual too. And you're like, like I mean. Think think of how you would be if you were like nine years old and you figured that out. Like, oh dang, well, like, well, I got to figure out what this means because, like, this is my everything, right? Like, if if you don't have mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I mean, I'm I'm 40 years old. I I have a much better understanding of what sexuality is. I still can't really fully tell you what it is. I can tell you all sorts of aspects about it, um, but like especially in adolescence, you know, like, we, they don't they don't know what they're talking about. I mean, we don't even know what we're talking mm-hmm. about. So how could they? Um, yeah. And it's an important thing, right? It's a very important thing because they've become aware of the opposite sex uh, and, and the same sex and the importance of relationship. And yet, like, they have less and less face-to-face interaction, like, less and less really good. There are statistics now saying that, like, men have are starting to, are getting to the point where they have, like, one close friend over the course of life and women are, like, three or four. It used to be, like, three times that many decades ago. And that our grandparents have better sex lives statistically when they filled out, you know, forms than than we do, because, like, well, they didn't, they didn't have anybody else, so like it's the greatest they ever had, right? So, like, they loved each other, and and, and there was they weren't going to go anywhere, and and like they kind of knew what the purpose of it was, and so there wasn't all this, mm. like, desire to like find something else or fear of missing out or anyway. Um, I don't know. It's it, the culture just kind of pushes all that, and then it, it makes sense that they come. And like the average age of exposure to pornography is eight to ten years old now. Now, obviously, anybody who's listening who has kids will say, "Well, not my kids." Uh, and I'll tell you, well, it is your kids in most cases. Um, uh, some idiot with a cell phone in their class. That there you go. You know. Um, and like, if you're exposed to that, and as gra- like all pornography is evil, all of it's graphic, but it's especially graphic. What's kind of the norm right now? Like as a little girl, like oh, I would like, what what what's she gonna say? I will never allow anyone to do that to me. Like, I'm a like right. I want to be asexual. Like I I would kind of support that, right? You know, because like I don't want you to be a part of that, and you know, or I'm uncomfortable because I don't look like everything looks on Instagram and Facebook, which is which is a lie anyway, right? Like there's all the yeah filters and you know. Uh, airbrushing and photoshopping and all that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the kind of world that they live in, and, and they're told all these things, and they have to worry about all these things, and then, and then all of a sudden, they get to a place where they can kind of make their own decisions, and like, man. And I'm not trying to define anything. Like, we, we don't know where where this comes from. We know that it's that there are some genetic and epigenetic precursors, but there's not like a gay gene. Like, science has shown us that with some really cool studies that we could talk about another time. Um, but we also know there's a lot of experiences and 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 relationships and both good and bad that kind of feed into this um and i think what's most important is that we let people know that they're loved unconditionally you know and that doesn't mean that i have to accept everything that you say or i have to agree with everything you say it means that i love you no matter what i'm always going to point to what i truly believe is the best for you and i'm not going anywhere compassion that means to suffer with calm with passio to suffer like if you're suffering with someone, you didn't walk away. 
right? You're not like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, get that fixed, that come back, or like, oh yeah, you could be a part of our group, but only if you keep, you know, you keep it on the level. It's like, no, no, no. Like compassion means I'm going to sit with you, and it's going to stink. I'm going to hate it, but I'm going to love you, and we're going to figure this out, you know. And then to speak the truth to them in those moments, man, that's transformative. Where do you think the idea comes from that the church expects you to already have attained a certain level of moral perfection in order to be part of the club? Because I've been Catholic my whole life, and, and I've, I've been told to go to confession my whole life because I think somebody along the way recognized what a wretched sinner I am <laughs> and realized well, I that I was going to need this. Yeah, <laughs> but just recognizing that I'm going to need this sacrament, right? That as a sinner, I'm I'm imperfect. I'm in need of God's mercy. I've I've never been told that that there's a a bar to entry, like that I I have to I have to be a certain way. Um, rather, I've I've been told maybe, hey, stop doing that because that's bad for you. But I've I've never had the sense that because I am a sinner, I don't have a place. And that's because everywhere I look, I see people like me who are also sinners. Now, maybe I don't know their sin, so I don't know if their sin is the same as my sin. Um, and I probably shouldn't go right up to them and ask them when I come into the pew, hey, did you do this this week? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. what, what'd you talk to Father about don't, in the confessional? Like, don't make a lot not, of friends that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I, I guess I, I've never really understood where this where this myth comes from that somehow the church rejects people based on the sin. I've not I'd seen I'd like to that. answer that question. Go ahead. Answer the question, Matt. My answer is Satan. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we, we've covered all our bases. Okay. We've blamed it on the devil. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would say that is a lie from Satan. I, I don't mean, disagree with you, <laughs> but. <laughs> I, think, I think it's also kind of like a caricature of like, well, they have all these rules. So clearly the real Catholics must be living them. I just don't know who considers himself to be a real Catholic in that case, right? Like, hmm. um, like you know, Mother Mother Teresa wouldn't consider herself one. There's also the there's like that cardboard cutout yeah. saint. Yeah, you know? see, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. But the saints are the first to tell them how wretched they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had a guy once complain because there was a an organization uh, that had a the diocese had brought them in and. I was asked if I could host them one night for uh, a talk. And so I, I had advertised this and the, this guy wrote to me and he said, first of all, that he had to do a fairly deep dive on the internet to learn anything about them. And so I, I did a deep dive also. I went to Google and I typed in the name of the organization and they were the first name that came up. So I guess that was the deep dive into the organization that he had to do to find out information about them. But then he said, and I won't have uh, my family hear any more of the homophobia that they hear so regularly from the pulpit. And I was like, I don't remember ever talking from the pulpit about homosexuality or gay people or or anything like that. What, what homophobia are you talking about? Because, and I, I went to people in the parish and I was asking them, I was like, have you heard me say homophobic things? And I think what, what he was, what he was taking was if you teach what the church teaches, that by itself, by saying something is, is wrong or something is sinful, that in and of itself is offensive to a certain population or to the person who commits that sin. To call it a sin is bad. And I wonder sometimes how we got to that point. Well, I think the language of, sometimes the language doesn't help. Uh, like the catechism says that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. Now, 
the catechism is a is a technical theological reference book. So they're using very technical language to be to be precise of what they say. But normally when we hear that, like when I say, you know, Father Sam's disordered, like he takes offense at that, <laughs> right? As as he should, right? Not that I've ever said that to his face. Or, but. or I just nod in agreement because, I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> but when we look at that that passage, first of all, the catechism is very clear that it's talking exclusively about actions, not persons. But it also, like going back to this story about what God has proposed for sexual pleasure, it says anything, any action that seeks sexual pleasure outside of the confines of the sacrament of marriage and the complementarity of man and woman so is considered disorder. So that would be lust, pornography, masturbation, uh, adultery, fornication. Like we, I mean, we can go on and on, making out all these things. Like, yeah, the 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 lie. Yeah, but it doesn't just stop there. It also applies that to sin in general. When you look at the definition of sin, it says you know mm-hmm. these acts, right, which work directly contrary to God in a grave way, mortal sin, right? Are disordered. And thus are intrinsically disordered, right? Yeah, exactly. Can't, can't do them. So like mm-hmm. now we're covering, uh, you know, stealing in a significant way, lying in a significant way, killing people, wrath, uh, blasphemy. Like, okay, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that are disordered. And, you know, um, I think part of it is the fact that, uh, like if someone comes to me into con- in, in confession, right? And let's say they confess, well, you know, Father, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I'm a kleptomaniac. I constantly steal things. They, they don't. They rarely, if ever, say, Father, I'm, I'm a, I'm a serial thief. Right? Like they don't mm-hmm. identify themselves with what they do. They say, I've done mm-hmm. this thing that's wrong, and I'm struggling with it. Right? And, and that's where, when, when you're not struggling with it, right? And it's the center of your identity. I think that's where you start to look at the church as a hypocrite. Right? Because you're saying that you're better than me because I identify this way. This is who I am. I am my actions. I am my feelings. I am my desires. I am my emotions. And if you don't, you're not okay with them, then you hate me and you reject me. Hmm. Which the church is never, like the church really doesn't have a way. Like she doesn't weigh in on like how I feel about something or my desires until they begin to get to that point where I'm going to put them into action. Right. And then she says things about the action, but I'm a beloved son of Christ, even if I am, you know, chief among all sinners, as Paul says, right? Like, like I'm still a beloved son of Christ and I'm called to give that love to all who I encounter who are in need of it as a spiritual father so that I can grow in holiness and imitation of Christ and to find my place in the world. Hmm. So let's go to that first principle uh, of courage. Um, the first goal, rather, which is simply to live a chaste life in accordance with the gospel. Uh, because it seems to me like the other four goals of courage flow from that. That if the first goal is to live a chaste life in accordance with the gospel, then everything else is going to be in support of that goal. Um, it seems like everything else that you that you talk about in courage is, is meant to support that. Um, but as with any any sin, the first step to overcoming it, or as with any kind of like real integration, is stop doing the thing that's unhealthy and start doing the thing that is healthy. Um, if, if I want to, if if I want to lose weight, I have to I have to start exercising. If if I want to um, be cured of an addiction, I have to stop doing the addictive thing. So start there, and in this case, it's start with chastity, and then. The other four goals 
all seem to point to the supports necessary for living chastity. So it's not just telling people, don't do this, or you can't do this. It's saying, and here's how, and we're going to help you to do that. Which is good because the definition of chastity is not to not have sex, right? But rather to be able to give yourself freely, your whole person, including your sexuality, to those who you encounter and love in a way that is fitting for your station and their station in life. And so you're, you're correct. So the members who originally started Courage actually came up with the goals um, on their own. Uh, I mean, there's some guidance from father in, in wording and stuff like that, but like they came up with like these these goals and they, they haven't changed in 43 years, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you're correct. The first is to live chaste lives. And that's not, it doesn't mean to live perfectly chaste lives, right? Like, like yes, we can't say, well, you know, it's okay. I'm slightly unchaste, right? Like, that's not what we're saying. But like, it's a work in progress. This didn't, de- this you didn't develop a habit of sin or a way of thinking overnight. It happened over the course of life, and the Lord knows that, and the Lord doesn't expect you to fix it overnight. And so, mm-hmm. with that comes great patience and perseverance with oneself and others. And that's why we have uh, service to others and spiritual direction and spiritual reading and spiritual direction and frequent attendance at mass and the whole, that's where those goals are coming from. Like you have to have patience in this and you have to recognize it's going to take a while and it's going to take a lot of effort. And so we're going to need other people to help us, to keep us accountable, but also to fulfill to fill us with life, to affirm us, right? The, the word affirmation, um, the feeling that you have when you're loved for who you are, right? Not for what you do, as opposed to approval, like, good job, you know, pat you on the head, like, oh, good dog, good dog, right? And like affirmation is something that's unconditional, right? Like, I love you even if you're a terrible sinner. Even if you spit in my face, I still love you. I'm, I'm not okay with that. I want you to not do that. I want you to apologize. But that doesn't mean I don't love you. I might be angry with you now, but I'm not going to love you any less. Um, right. Even if it might hurt and I might have to change my behavior because I can't trust you. And that's, that's a, that's a hard thing, but, uh, and that kind of goes on into those relationships of like, if I want to, if I want to learn to be self-possessed by me with self-mastery over my sexuality in a healthy and harmonious way, I'm going to have to learn how to live good, chaste friendships because chastity is really the fruit of good friendship, of authentic friendship. It's not say you can't do it separate from a good, healthy relationship with same sex and opposite sex people where you're given your all and they're given your, their all and you actually feel love. Um, and once we can do that, we do it with joy, man, it, it, that transforms people's lives, right? You know, just to mm-hmm. see other people live in this kind of thing with joy. So you're right. So you got involved with this. Yeah. So you, you get involved with, with courage because you saw a need and you saw a need right in your own ministry and in the things that you were doing. Um, all right, we'll we'll do the geographical difference thing here. As a as somebody from the Northeast, um, if I'm thinking about places where a need to minister to people with same sex attraction and to help to proclaim the church's teaching is really needed, my first thought is not Knoxville, Tennessee. That's not the first place I think is is really in need of that. So tell me a little bit, like, how did you get to that point where you're like, this is a need that's right in front of me that that needs to be met? Because it's incredible, I think. Uh, well, so it's, it started right after I was ordained. There's, there's this, uh, old Irish priest, uh, and a guy came to do a fifth step. Um, and I didn't know what the heck that was. And so he gave me a, a book with no words on the front cover. 
It was white. Um, what that is, is the Alcoholics Anonymous book. And the person wanted in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the first four they go through, they recognize that they don't have the power to, to fix themselves and they need to rely on God and they need to be honest with themselves and they have to go through things in the past and then to confess them in the fifth step. And although they don't have to do it to a priest, there's a lot of people that do because uh, they trust us, I guess, because we've done this thing before a couple of times, <laughs> you know, confession. Um, and this person didn't necessarily struggle with sexuality or anything like that, but that's, that's kind of where it started and getting to know people in, in sort of those broken situations who are really trying to live their lives the way God asked them, but they had these, they had a great burden on their soul, um, really inspired me, uh, to do a better job as a priest and learn how to do this. Right. Uh, partially because I also have a burden on my soul of sin, right? Um, and I'm very conscious of it because I'm a public person and a priest and I'm supposed to be a saint, but, uh, you know, I'm clearly not. So, you know, that that kind of got me involved in that and, it, and that kind of snowballed by the, get, by the grace of the Holy Spirit. I just kept getting sucked in farther and farther and started working with uh, those specifically who have uh, sexual addiction, which is a little bit different than uh, alcoholism or or uh, addiction of alcohol or, or drugs. And so how did I get to courage? Uh, I, I actually knew father Harvey when I was in college. Really? Uh, I, that's not How'd why I joined courage, but, uh, I was, I went to Ave Maria university, um, first the Michigan campus, then the Florida campus, never the permanent campus. So <laughs> permanent nomad. Uh, he was on sabbatical <laughs> writing one of his books. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so he was on campus and he'd given some obligatory kind of Hey, this is the work I do. Like, you're going to see me around campus. Uh, I'd love to, if anybody wants to know more about it, you know, I'd love to talk about it. And then he also gave some lectures. Um, and so that's where I was first exposed at uh, mm. 22 years old. I was ordained at 30. Mm. So, I was, you know, like, who would have known, uh, you know, that was going on? Uh, actually, I was ordained at 32. Sorry, I don't remember that correctly. 31. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then when I got to the, to the diocese and I'm working as a priest in this, in this capacity, I, I just, I encountered a number of people that were struggling with uh, sexual addiction, but also had same sex attraction. And so we had kind of, I had worked with them individually and I was like, I, I think they need more than just talking to me, right? Like they need someone else that they can kind of trust and knows where they've come from. And that like, I knew about courage, but I, I hadn't put two and two together. And our previous executive director, Father Philip Bachansky, um, he came and gave a presentation to the Diocese of Nashville and Knoxville. Um, we used to do joint convocations because like, our priests were of one diocese and then we split into two dioceses. And so like we all know each other. Um, even though it was like 30 years ago, we still all know each other. And uh, I was just convicted. Uh, I don't, there's no other way to say it. Like, I didn't know that we needed it. I was just like, I think I need to say this. Like, Bishop, we need this ministry in our diocese because it's the only one that the church has recognized as actually doing that which she asks, which is to teach, to give people the truth and charity with a compassionate heart and to walk beside them and not, not abandon them or, or tell them that they're not good enough or something like that. And I said that, I said, if, and if, and if you bring it to the diocese, like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to serve in that capacity with everything else I do, because I think it's that important. Um, but I don't, I don't want to fight on it. And he's like, no, I think you're absolutely right. And that was it. 
Hmm. I became the chaplain that day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Before a chapter actually existed. (laughs) Yeah. So there's, there's, there's two sort of separate branches of courage. Courage International is the overarching apostle. And then inside is courage. That's for individuals, men or women. Um, and they meet because they personally experience same-sex attraction. Then we have a group called Encourage. This developed in about, about seven years into Courage's life, about 1987. Um, there are many parents and siblings and friends who said, I want to be a witness of unconditional love to these people in my life, but I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that because I feel like I'm compromising on, on what I have to say or what the church teaches, and I don't want to do that but I also don't want to beat them over the head with it every time I see them because that's silly. Um, and so that's where like Encourage kind of came about. And what's funny is like Encourage is, has really kind of grown even more than Courage. Like the parents and the siblings and the friends are like, well, we're really interested in this. And what, what's funny is um, the parents very often, like when they first get there, like, all right, give me the book that I need to like fix my kid and I'll be out of your hair. Um, and you're like, okay, well, why don't you keep coming to meetings? right? Because that's not what it's about, right? Um, it's actually about getting the parents to grow in holiness because when you grow in holiness, you, you, you don't speak as much with your voice. You speak more with God's voice. You don't love as much with your heart. You love with his mm-hmm. heart, you, right? Like it, it, it's like uh, the, the, the patrons of Encourage, which are for, for parents of, of individual and siblings of individuals in lifestyle are uh, Monica and Augustine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one of my favorite things to say, uh, and I know Monica is going to be shaking her head at me, hopefully one day when I am in heaven, hopefully. Um, but uh, in, in the confession, in heaven, you're going to get scolded by the saints. Is that what yeah, you're yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's, it says in the confessions one day that Monica was in her cups with her maids. It's a euphemism. It means she had a drinking problem, which is not surprising considering her husband was verbally abusive. That was very made very clear, and he sexually abused his son. He didn't. He didn't abuse directly Augustine, but he exposed his 12 year old son to prostitutes and told him it was okay. <laughs> like that's not acceptable. <laughs> and right. Right. Yeah. And, and like, I, I mean, I can kind of hear it, right? Like, you know, Monica, especially in the world at that time, like someone who's acting like that, who knows there might even been, you know, physical abuse. We won't suppose we're not going to project that on him, but, but like, you know, here's Monica in this situation. And like, she knows the Christian faith is so important. But I can just kind of like hear it because nobody's really listening to her. It's like, you have to go to church. When are you going to go to church? Let's get you baptized. You want to get baptized now, right? Like, like no, leave me the hell alone. Leave me alone, mom, right? Yeah. And yeah, Monica did pray for 34 years for her son. And that's very important. We have to have that perseverance. But something else went on during that 34 years. And that was Monica was transformed. Monica became holy. Monica began to speak with a voice her son could hear, right? Because she wasn't speaking with the voice of a mother who's clinging on to something and because of fear of her own self, right? In an unhealthy way, but rather she was speaking as a mother who's fallen in love with the Lord, understands that she has to, you know, let go of her son, but also give him, give him what's best, which is, which is the love of God. And they have this, they have that beautiful conversation um, before Monica dies in the garden. Uh, highly recommend reading the confessions if somebody hasn't done so. Um, but like all, all is well. But it, hmm. but it wasn't because Monica got on her knees and said, well, I want Augustine to not be uh, kind of a womanizer every day. I mean, that's a part of it, like that she had that, that idea, but like 
God wasn't using her prayer necessarily for that specifically. He was that like the fact that she started to pray changed the way she interacted with the world and the way she talked with God and her prayer changed, right? I want, I want my son to go to heaven more than anything else. I don't really care about that sin as long as he goes to heaven. Okay. Now, now we're letting God work the way God needs to, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we never know how he's going to work. We never know how that's going to push and pull. We had a member, he was telling us his story and he said that, you know, it was his his sister that convinced him to go to mass with his boyfriend at the time. Because if you love someone, then you go to mass with them when they go. And he had been born and raised Catholic, but had, had left the faith. Now they started to go to mass together regularly. They didn't go to communion, uh, but they started to go to mass regularly. And one weekend he's like, Oh, uh, I'm going to go to confession. And then, then we can go out to dinner. His boyfriend broke up with him because if you're going to confession, then, then we're not going to be living in this relationship and going to mass because you're going to want to receive communion. I'm not going to be an opportunity for that. Like that was the breakup. And you're like, that's insane. Right. And now it took this guy another seven years to get where he needed to be to start living his life. But like, like we have no idea how that stuff, like how that, how, how that would have like panned out different if his sister had been like, well, he really shouldn't be going to mass anyway. Right. And I'm not advocating that we just say to everyone, you know, do all the sacraments and willy nilly. Right. No, like, you know, to recognize that if the the need for that relationship and where that love needs to be, if you love somebody, you need to be doing the most important things with them. And, and worship of God is the most important thing. You know, like we can speak to that in a way that can like plant a seed or, or snatch a soul from, from the jaws of Satan, not because we did it, but because, because we've allowed ourselves to silence our own tongues and God gives them what they need. So they go, huh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, and and part of that is another piece of your your goals with with courage, which is to both foster those friendships and that fellowship, that that sense of belonging in a community. Uh, and do, are the goals for courage also the same as as with encourage or or similar? Like, do they do they follow a similar pattern? Like, I'm thinking that encourage would want to foster community and fellowship and the sense of belonging for the people who they're serving, both those who are the parents or friends or relatives of those who struggle with same sex attraction and those who struggle with same sex attraction itself. Like, we want to foster a sense of community for them. But then you go from not just fostering the sense of community and fellowship, but also to this idea that it is possible to live chaste friendships, which a lot of times our world doesn't believe in, uh, that if there's like men and women can't be friends, they, they must be attracted to each other at all times, um, that uh, the idea of, of the virtue of chastity being being present in a relationship is, is somehow not possible. But you're standing directly in front of that and saying, in fact, it is possible to have good and chaste friendships. In fact, it is possible uh, to to do this. So not only is friendship and fellowship important, it's possible. And I want to be an example of that. And I want to help other people to be an example of that. Um, so talk a little bit about how courage is able to, to foster those things for people. Well, just before that, uh, the rules for encourage, they are very similar. Uh, they're focused around growing in spirituality themselves and then gaining a deeper understanding of, of the needs, right? Uh, and difficulties and challenges that their loved ones are facing uh, who have same-sex attraction and then to establish and maintain healthy and wholesome relationships with them, help other family members try to understand what they've come to know. 
uh, and to live lives that uh, that that witness that fulfillment is to be found in Jesus Christ. Um, hmm. I forgot what you said. The, second part. <laughs> the the fellowship, the friendship, the, the possibility oh, yeah. of of, yeah. of that friendship, and the, the need for it. How do how do you do it? <laughs> Uh, a lot of a lot of it's helping them cultivate it within the group itself, and then getting them involved in their parishes. Um, mm. There's a lot of insecurity, uh, both men and women. Sometimes we have separate groups for men and women, depending on the size of the city and the number of people. Sometimes they're joined together. But what we found is that, like, they build decent friendships together, and then uh, by a lot, especially if we facilitate like having confessions beforehand, so people can kind of. St- those who aren't going can, you know, stand around and have a conversation. Um, down in, uh, they have, they have, they actually have two groups that meet in uh, Manhattan, um, and different ends of it, and uh, they have about thirty or forty guys in each one, and they get together for dinner bef- before or after the meeting. The young guys after, the old guys before, um, <laughs> and and like that, that's how they build community, and they make sure that they're plugged into other parishes and things that are going on in the area um, because they can fulfill a unique role because. They're, they have they have more of their time to give because they they it's true they don't have a family and that can that can lead to loneliness um but they can also give themselves freely uh to people who who in other cases you know wouldn't be able to have someone there for them because they do have a little bit more of that time and that's that's really kind of how we uh promote it to them is like look learning to be a beloved son is is the first step to to really understand that you're loved unconditionally by God, that 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 we're doing our best to do so as well as as broken humans, and the church loves you unconditionally as His bride. Now you need to go and you need to share that with others, those who are in need, those who really need to know that they're loved, and like that's that's really where you know the universal call to holiness is. That's like if you live out that vocation of, okay, I'm a beloved son. This is how I'm loved, and this is how I can give it to someone else and teach them how to be loved. Like. You'll find your vocation. You'll find your happiness. You'll find your joy. Like that's that's the essence of, of the mystery of the Christian of the Christian life, right? Um, divinization, divine adoption, whatever you want to call it, um, is that like that's that's where we're supposed to be. And so the way that we cultivate those friendships is by plugging them in. We have a sports camp where guys get together. Uh, many have had somewhat like uh, traumatic experiences with sports, or maybe a father who didn't see them as athletic, and and so like put more time into the other kids and said, oh, well, you go do your artsy stuff or there's all sorts of different, that's just an example. There's all sorts of different reasons. Um, and, and there are some that were also athletic, but I mean, we, we have a sports camp where a bunch of them get together and, and they play sports for three or four days and they compete against each other and have a tournament. And like, it's really healing for people. We have some really great coaches that come in and, you know, there's mass every day and morning and evening prayer. And like, so setting those things up to make it easy to build the, that kind of camaraderie, um, is is kind of how we facilitate it. I mean, it's funny, like, even though we're a Catholic organization, like sports camp, we have three or four members that aren't even Catholic that have been coming for like 20, 30 years because they're like, man, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. I heard about it. And so I, I keep coming. <laughs> like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Are you thinking of becoming Catholic? Oh, no, 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 never, never. <laughs> but like, Couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. But like, they, they find that they find this to be very healing where, where they're, they're having these relationships. And then I would say we have, we have retreats throughout regionally. Um, yeah. Like at the end of January, we'll have the men's Northeast retreat at Villa Maria and um, and here at with the it, sisters' it's life. It's like down yeah. the road. <laughs> yeah, in Stanford. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> yeah. we we have other regional ones as well for the Encourage, Encourage, as well as Courage, uh, and then we have an annual conference every summer. 
Uh, this year it'll be okay. a Mundelein in, in Chicago, outside of Chicago. Nice. Um, July fourth through the twenty eighth, and basically that's about fraternity for four days. Like we have we have a series of talks usually on a topic. Um, actually, this year we're gonna. It's as far as the plan's going right now. We're gonna be talking about um, you know what it means to be a beloved son or a beloved daughter. How how do I live that out as a spiritual father or mother so that I can live out that vocation to holiness and find my joy and my vocation here in this life, even in the midst of suffering. Um, hmm. And but basically, it's a giant like sort of hangout fest. Like everybody's just they're just they're loving each other. They're cracking jokes. They're hanging out late into the night. They're getting up early in the morning. Um, like that's how we. I mean, I know it sounds kind of silly, but that's how we do it. Is you know we 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 put stuff together and and ask people to come and do it. There's a really great uh, dynamic going on in, in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. They have an encourage group and a courage group, and they've been getting together since they started like 15 mm-hmm. years ago. They have cookouts, they go get dinner together, they hang out. And, you know, the kids to the parents are like, well, you don't understand me and you hate gays. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like some of my best friends uh, struggle with same-sex attraction. Like I, I see them every week you know, or, or, or a couple times a month. Like, what are you talking about? Um, it, and so it, 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 it leads to this kind of interesting dynamic um, just in general when everybody kind of gets yeah. tied together. You know, I, I've been thinking about this lately that as, as you've described, so, you, you know, you come home from one of your, uh, from one of your conferences or from your, your many travels and everything. And we sit down and, and you get to talking about whatever it is that, that you were just doing. And I've, I've been thinking that the, the broad spectrum of interests that you have. I think makes you Father Blatchford really well suited to this. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna air some of some of Father Blatchford's many, many diverse interests. Okay, this is a man who's interested in auto repair, doing his own car work. Who's interested in cooking? Who's interested in wine tasting? Who's interested in computer repair and building and fiddling with various forms of technology? Who's interested in? I mean, you name the thing. Father Blatchford wants to know about it. <laughs> I haven't met many people who like take an interest in so many different things such that they want to be able to be conversant in it. But I think actually when we're dealing with helping people through a particular difficulty to be able to identify with them in some way in the places where they're interested in the things that they care about, like you're really well suited to that. And you've got a real gift for for stepping into that. But why are your interests so broad? That is the thing that baffles me still three years into having you live in the rectory with me. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Um, ADHD. <laughs> uh, I, I realized uh, probably about high school going into college, like I'm never going to be an expert in anything because I don't have the drive. <laughs> I just don't, I don't, I don't have the drive for that, but I have this ability to kind of be a generalist of stuff. Um, I've done blacksmithing for a few years. I love that. Done woodworking. How did I forget blacksmithing? I haven't, I haven't done it. I've, I mean, I've got, I've got a, yeah. So I just kind of of pick these things up. Of all the hobbies to pick up though, like who's blacksmithing? That's uh, amazing. The, the coolest people are blacksmithing. Let me tell you what. <laughs> blacksmithing and welding. I haven't learned how to weld yet. That's that's on the to-do list. Okay. Um, you get forklift certified after that or something? I mean. Oh, man. Forklift life. That'd be the life to live. 
There's <laughs> nothing like forklift life. life. Have you seen those t-shirts? <laughs> yeah. At Walmart? It's like, oh, yeah, it's great. yeah, what is it? It's like live, laugh, love. Forklift life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so anyway, I, I kind of picked them up like that. And I've, I've always just had kind of a wide interest to keep myself interested in something. Um, mm-hmm. And Ed, you're right. It has it has kind of panned out, not because I planned it, but uh, I meet a lot of very interesting people. <laughs> and I love, I really like to, when I get into a conversation with somebody, I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a childish uh, desire, but like, I want to not story match, but like, I want to, I want to let them know that I know. Or that I have, I've had similar things. Um, so I'm sure that's probably maybe maybe a darker or <laughs> lesser side of of the drive, right? Like, um, but for me, it's also just I don't know, new and interesting. Get to know it well enough, and then I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> but you never lose it. You never stop. You never forget that that information. So it's it's ready to to be recalled yeah, whenever it's necessary. And I think that's very cool. Um. With your work in, in Courage, Courage is the church's official approved ministry apostolate to people uh, with same-sex attraction and to their families. But there are other groups that have that have been coming up. What are, what are the best groups that you see that are, are sharing in this mission and in this work? Sure. So the, the church outlined uh, in a document, the US, the, the U.S. Bishops' Conference I don't remember the name of it. Rats. We'll find it. We'll put it in the show. Yeah, notes. we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but it outlined what pastoral accompaniment of of those with same sex attraction would look like, and what the church's pastoral outreach would look like. And she said there there has to be a statement very clearly that that ch- chastity is something we have to be pursuing. That's a non negotiable. Um, and there has to be uh, a desire to be Tied, tied into the community, right? And and to avail themselves of the sacraments, like we're living, we're living the Catholic life, right? Uh, and that while the actions are sinful, the persons are loved. So like basically all those could kind of be summed up in just the clear definition of chastity in the human person. And and so there's there's uh, uh courage, and then there is another one that was mentioned as well, Eden Invitation, which is a little bit younger, sort of a a millennial oriented approach. Uh, two young ladies from Franciscan founded it 10 or 15 years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they go about it with the same understanding from the church's teaching. They do it a little differently. They do a little more one-on-one, a little more conversation. Let me get your story kind of thing, which is great. Um, then there's, uh, there's other groups that are a little more ecumenical. There's one out of Perth, Australia. I just forgot the name. It was on the tip of my tongue. There's one out of Kansas City called uh, Desert Stream Ministries. Um, it these things all kind of move in in different realms. Um, and I mean, those are those are the three I know specifically that that I would that I, I would encourage engagement with. There are some other ones, but there are also some that they they don't they don't make it clear that chastity is a necessity. Um, hmm. That mm. you know we we can we can not only have this identity, but we can live it out. Right. Uh, or the belief that, well, you know, even though the, I find this person, you know, sexually attractive and, um, it's okay if we're just friends and roommates, like, but we're not going to do anything. Right. Like they're okay. So that's not necessarily evil, but that might be imprudent. Right. So we have to be, we have to, when we look at it, we want to see 
the necessity of chastity, uh, the compassionate encounter, right? Uh, and 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 then the the truth. So the truthfulness of of the church's teaching and the compassionate encounter. That's really kind of the two things. Um, and it's the perennial teaching, not the teaching that as we want it to be, right? But the teaching that jives with you know what we see in scripture, what we see revealed, and what the church has said consistently. Um, when we look at that, that's that's really where we want to be. And those, you know, it can cause a lot of consternation when. You know, those who want to interpret as they see fit or they think that the church is changing, they just they just kind of do what they want, then then, you know, that, I mean that causes a lot of pain for those who are really trying to live their faith um and, and do what the church has asked, which is to say, you know, you need to be living uh chastity. And that might look like a chaste celibacy, though it's not celibacy. Um, it would be a continence, but like to to live in this way where you're not partaking of uh, you know, sexual pleasure. That's the goals to avoid putting myself in those kind of situations and, and to try and live with good, healthy relationships and to give myself freely to my community and live sacrificial love. Hmm. Um, if we get into those other groups, what happens is we find that um, it's more of a approval of what I've done or an acceptance of what I've done uh, and how I see myself then a love for the person for who they are with the speaking of the truth of the gospel. Hmm. Yeah. And so important to be able to, to speak that truth. I think in, in some of the other groups that might be out there, it is, it, it sounds much more like we just want to approve and support and, and allow people to continue doing something. But what the church is always calling to is that call to conversion. Now with that, are you ready for the, uh, for the electric fence? Uh, because Sorry, I have to go now. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've just had this document fiducia supplicans come from the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith uh, that talks about this but that has caused uh, quite a bit of confusion in the church and has has caused some consternation so first of all for your membership in in courage what has their reaction been like what's it been like for them to receive this document um there's been a there's been a little consternation frustration uh a feeling that um, the trade would be too strong, but like that, that they're not being supported for sure. Um, I mean, I don't think that's what, the, that's not what the document says. Right. But, but that's the feeling because that's, you know, what the headlines said in the Catholic, some of the Catholic sphere and some of in the secular sphere. And, you know, people are some, some of those who, who want to see this change or who don't agree with the church's teaching, they're using it as a justification for what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And there's not been, clear correction of that, even though there's been clarification of what the document means and how we're supposed to interpret it. And many bishops have weighed in on it and they seem to have a, 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 a beautiful consensus, I would say, um, that while we can always bless sinful individuals, you know, we can never bless a sinful union, but we can bless the individuals in that. I, th- I mean, I, I think almost every bishop has said that, which is a beautiful thing to me. Um, sure. Because every time you bless an individual, you're blessing a sinner, right? Sure. Exactly. Exactly. But, it doesn't but, matter what kind of sinner. They're, if I'm giving you a blessing, I'm a priest. It's you're a sinner. If I'm receiving the blessing as a priest, I'm a sinner. You well, know? you're also kind of seeing like this, this, the magisterium in its in its universality, right? Because you're getting the bishops from Africa and Europe and Asia and America. They're all kind of saying the same thing. There's some that are saying different things, but like the vast majority are saying, no, this this is how we need to look at it. Um, and and they're doing so very compassionately, very kindly. Um, but there's there is a lot of because of the culture that we're in and the belief that the church is going to change 
which they've been believing for many decades, really kind of forever. But most strongly, I would say, we've been kind of struggling with that over the last 70 years or so. There's a feeling that, well, maybe this is it. Or maybe Mm -hmm. this next one's Mm -hmm. it. Where they're letting the camel's nose in the tent. Or they're, you know, and for sure, there's some ambiguous language there. Um, You know, and we've seen that in documents before. And I think that, you know, there's... That, that makes it even harder to kind of define to how, how, how we're going to implement this as, as priests talking to our people. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, I, I had a member say, you know, I just, I don't know how they're going to paint this one up to look as if it's not a pig um, on some level, right? Like, and I'm not trying to say that papal document's a pig. That's not what I'm saying. Or the CDF's document is a pig. Uh, CDW. Uh, or sorry, what is it? The, the, DDF. The DDF. Sorry, sorry. I'm getting these yeah. all things, all these things. <laughs> We're totally going to use this as a hot yeah. take. We're totally <laughs> no, no, no. using it as a um, hot take. But like, like that does me good, not because of the snide, the kind of snide comment, but because it's like, okay, I know that the Holy Spirit protects the church. I know mm-hmm. that this is the one true church. And I know no matter what anybody in my church says, my church will never abandon me. And so I'm going to keep doing this. Now, for the Encourage members, it's been a lot harder because they've got they've got kids that are have been you know kind of mm-hmm. arguing with them for in some cases decades, right? Um, and they're saying, "Do you see this? Do you see this?" And of course, and like, well, you need to read the document because it doesn't say what you think it's saying. Um, but that that I think has been the hardest is that yeah. they they feel they feel like it's just kind of one thing after another. Um, there's a desire for like a, a strong control and condemnation and, you know, anathema sit. Right. Um, okay. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that too for some things, but like, that's not how, that's not really how the church functions in most cases. Not, not now anyway. Yeah. Right. And there, when, the- when the document first came out, I, I read it and I confess my first thought wasn't about courage. That took me a little while to come to thinking about courage apostolate and, and what you do, but Part of what I was what I was wondering was, as some of your members are maybe frustrated or feeling abandoned, is it that the document doesn't say it's not what it says, but what it doesn't say? It's where the document is silent, and where the document seems to be largely silent is the, kind of the emphasis on the virtue of chastity yeah. and turning away from sin, and the idea that the people who are involved in courage have been actively engaged in seeking that greater spiritual, personal, moral integration of their lives. They want to live according to the Catholic faith. And to to have a document that talks about offering these blessings without the accompanying call to conversion that they've been striving for for however many years could feel very much to them like a, a rejection. Yeah. Like, you guys who have been trying, we don't really care. What we care about is the people who haven't been trying at all. I would say there's definitely that sentiment there on both on on for both courage and encourage too. Um, I the language of the document I think implies those when it what those things, um, but I think they wanted to see it clearly stated, you know, because they feel they yeah definitely they they feel that that it's not been clearly stated enough, um, and human nature being human nature, an attaboy goes a long way, a really long yeah, way, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, right. Just a, like if if I've been yeah. trying to do the right thing, just instead of criticizing me or praising the people who haven't been trying to do the right thing, just like give me give me some indication that I'm seen, 
that my effort is is actually valued by the by the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say I've I've met a lot of bishops that are very good about that in their own diocese. Um, yeah, uh, especially in the last couple of years, they as they become more aware of the importance of this. Not that it wasn't important before, but um, with sort of the the transgender movement and and those kind of things, and them having to deal with it face value in their schools and their chanceries and their HR departments, they become more aware of it and they become not that they weren't compassionate before, but they found out about it and, and their, their hearts really kind of broke and they become very compassionate about it. Uh, which yet again, not to say they weren't before, but like as they became aware, they just, you know, like the father really came out. Um, and I think it's, it's a very beautiful thing. Uh, and I've seen that in many dioceses that I've gone to visit. Uh, which is very edifying, very, very edifying. So even though, um, you know, we may not see that in a in a process document, right, uh, from from the universal church, um, I think I think that bishops are starting to to speak into that uh, in their home diocese, um, more one on one than like from the pulpit. Um, to be honest, this is not even something I would preach on from the pulpit. By the way, like going going back like 30 minutes, like boy, our, the homophobia you preach from the pulpit. Like, I don't think anybody should be preaching on this from the pulpit. Not, not like, well, we need to talk about homosexuality today. Like, no, I'm like, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, you can talk about so many other things um, that speak to the goodness of what God has asked of us and, 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 and the love that he has for us. You know, it's funny, like you think about kind of like the sexual revolution and like peace and love and like make love, not war. Right. And there's like this false sort of, I guess, rainbow and hippie Jesus that kind of goes with that. But like they say, Jesus wasn't a hippie. No, he wasn't. wasn't (laughs) But he had the long hair and sandals. Everybody, Uh, everybody did at the time. (laughs) I've got the sandals. I can't do the long hair though. Um, (laughs) They uh, like, like they put that forward, but like the reality of the love may not have been put forward like like it's like i tell parents like like yeah you want to pass on your faith to your children and it's you know the rules and regulations precepts and all those things but most importantly if they don't see you on your knees weeping before god they're not going to get it you know like i mean I, i can remember hearing growing up like there is no choice between you and god right like and it wasn't said in a like like a coming down on me kind of way like it was part of my parents teaching like no they're they're like god is above all things and this is this our relationship with him is far more important than anything else and we want you to be a part of that and it's like oh wow and then when i became an adult you know there there's a six-month period where i was physically present in church for six months maybe not spiritually there sometimes not even mentally there (laughs) a few times maybe because i was in college and out drinking still intoxicated slightly but like like i was there but i had to figure it out on my own i had to decide whether or not this was important to me and not just because mom and dad said so but like that's really hard to do you know when you don't have all those other things but 
Right. And I'll be honest. I mean, there have been times when I've been saying mass where I feel like I'm just physically present. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if I'm mentally present, you yeah. know, like folks get worried about like being distracted during prayer, or during mass. I'm like, dude, join the club. Yeah. I've I felt that too. Thank, Thank you, Lord, for making it ex opera operato. I say the words and it is done. I'm so sorry. I wasn't paying attention, Lord. Did I just do the consecration or not? I don't know. I can't remember. ADD, I do look a squirrel. to do it though. <laughs> I've had that happen. Like I'll be saying mass and like my ADD is so bad. I'll be like, did I, did I do that or not? I don't know. Oh man. Uh, then I'm like all shame faced internally, not externally. Got to keep the game face on. So <laughs> I think that there's an easy part here, which is when when it comes to uh, naming and and identifying sin, we know the solution. The, solu the solution is as simple as stop doing that, right? Whatever the sin is, don't do it. Um, but then obviously the, the far more complex piece is the why am I doing that sin? Why am I committing that sin? Why am I getting there? And I think especially when it comes to issues of human sexuality and those kinds of sins, we have to appreciate how complicated the circumstances can be and how complicated the person can be. Uh, and so like really approach them with reverence, but also part of that reverence has to always be the encouragement to chastity, to yeah. stop committing the sin. Uh, and it's possible for us to do both, but it's hard for us in this world right now, the way that our society runs and the way that, that our attitudes are so often formed to communicate that and to communicate that with the compassion and love that's necessary. John, John Paul says uh, in one of his documents, I can't, I'm not going to be able to quote it exactly, but he says that uh, the only proper response to human suffering is love, right? Um, and one can say, you know, you can only correct someone in so much as you have rapport, right? Like, so like, I ought not come over and like yell at your kids because they're not my kids, right? Um, mm. But if I'm a family member or, or an aunt or an uncle, I've got a little bit more, okay, knock it off, right? Like a little more respectable. Um, and so one, I think taking those two principles, the only response to human suffering is love. You can only correct in so far as like, You've, you've got trust, you've built rapport. I think we could say you can only correct somebody insofar as they know that you will suffer or have suffered for them. Mm. Which then means like, you, you can't give a one-line pithy statement to somebody and expect them to receive the faith, right? Uh, the Bob Newhart sketch, right? Just stop it. Well, I'm just, just I'm, terri it. I'm terrified of being in an elevator and I think I'm just going to die. Well, that's ridiculous. Just stop it. Right. Like that's not going to help. <laughs> I love that sketch. <laughs> it's a great sketch. We're going to put that in the show notes too. Cause it's such you a great should. sketch. I can send you the link. I have it right now. Um, <laughs> but, but like if someone comes up to talk to me, I mean, I have to gauge the situation, right? Like I said before, if I'm on the street, even if they come up to me as a priest, I need to be fully present to listen to them. Not listen with half right. an ear, like, oh, this is going to, I'm going to get that argument. I'm going to get that argument. I'm going to change that. I'm going to, oh, yeah, we're going to nail them to the wall. Like, that, that's not going to be helpful. You know, somebody's sharing what's most important with them, about them, with you, right? Um, for those who, who are maybe uh, married and have kids, think about, like, if you had to bring somebody into the inner workings of, your, of the dynamic between you and your wife, like, what kind of reverence would there be 
with that person when you're speaking to them about what that relationship's like or the struggles or what's going on. And I know that very often, um, especially in the modern world, it's kind of it's kind of worn on the shoulder, right? But they're still talking about the things that they think make up who they are as a person. And so if we have reverence for that, if we have calmness and an ability to really receive and to think, all right, Lord, take me out of this. I want to give them what they need the most. Uh, a friend of a friend was, he's a devout Catholic and he, he had to do marriage counseling for the state uh, as part of his residency as a psychiatrist or psycho psychologist. And so he had to take throuples, same-sex couples, opposite-sex couples, whoever came to him. But he he's like, well, what am I going to do? I can't say that, you know, uh, a civil marriage is an acceptable marriage or uh, same-sex marriage is an acceptable marriage. What, what am I going to do? And he thought long and hard about it. He said, you know, I can speak about what marriage actually is. And if, if they believe that that's what marriage is, like, you know, okay. Like, like if they actually receive it from me. Um, but even if they don't, right? Like, I don't, I don't actually have to tell them about the sacrament and the matter and the form and all those things. I could talk about marriage as this unique form of friendship that's ordered towards the good of the other person. And if they live that, then they grow in virtue. And if you grow in virtue, you decrease in vice and sin. In which case, I've given them some of the gospel in a way they can actually receive it and pursue it and grow mm -hmm. in virtue, which then can lead to conversion. And I didn't have to mention Jesus's mm -hmm. name because they weren't at a place where they could receive it right now. We, yet again, yeah. we have to be we have to be cunning as serpents. We really do, and that 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 might lead to some really odd conversations with people. But if you if before that happens, you say, "All right, Lord, this isn't my kid. This is yours. I want to do what's best for him. I want you to strike me dumb and only give me your words." Be very careful. <laughs> Moses' prayers like that <laughs> <See>? get answered. <laughs> he might, might get laryngitis or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but like he'll like you'll you'll start to speak what needs to be heard because like, for instance, the man I told you about whose sister told him, well, you, you should be going you know, to church with the one that you love. Like if she hadn't had said that he never would have started going back to church and he never would have gotten to the point where he had such a deep desire for the Eucharist that he changed his life and then really worked on actually living out chastity and then fully came back to the church. And now as a daily communicant, and is one of the greatest witnesses to his friends who are all still living the lifestyle, by the way, um, most of them, um, without ever speaking uh, the name of Jesus in many ways. Like, not because he mm -hmm. refuses to, but like, he's like, well, yeah, I'd love to go get brunch. I have to go to mass first. And like, so now they're like, they'll, they'll, they'll like use the Lord's name of faith. Like, oh, I'm really sorry. Or no, we won't go, we won't go get dinner there. Cause like they're, they're, they're doing this thing and he'd find it offensive. Like they're doing that on their own. He's never said they have to do mm. that. And so their lives are changing just because of what he's done. And he's never told them, you have to go change your life. They're like, oh, but he's happy and he's joyful. And we like having him around and we want to have him around more, which means we'll have to change our schedule. And so we're going to change our schedule so that we don't offend him. And he's never asked for mm. any of that. Mm. And he's had a bigger impact on their life than, than any street evangelist has ever had. You know? Anyway. Well, I think it, it comes back to that place of he's proposing. Yeah. He's proposing something that is beautiful. He's proposing something that's real, that's authentic, that's meaningful to him. He's not imposing anything, but he's also not backing away from what he knows to be the truth. Yeah. And again, I think this is a, a place where in, in the church, we, we often get mislabeled by, by stating that something is, is wrong 
we're often then also assumed to be condemning of persons. And we can only condemn a sin. We can only say that this thing is wrong. It's not good for you, but we have to demonstrate. And I think the extra effort really goes into the, the striving to demonstrate the love that we have for the person, the desire to accompany them. And actually the fact that far from, far from the idea that their behavior has to measure up to something, we want them to be here and we want to help them. Like we're not expecting them to do all this on their own Yeah, to get to a certain point on their own. We actually, we want to walk with them. We want to help them. Well, not just walk with them and help them, but also like live holy lives ourselves. Right. Cause like, how can you, how can you encourage somebody to, to let's say in the most basic terms have self-control in this area. If you, if you just ate a fourth brownie, right? Like that's self-control too. Like, like we have to be, it's not, it's not just about like teaching somebody who doesn't know because they're ignorant, right? And I think sometimes we get into that. Even, even I do, you know, because um, I, I want to be loved. I want to be looked at as, as someone who knows things, right? But like, if I'm not authentically growing in virtue myself, then how am I ever going to have a good relationship with them and, and, and encourage them in that, right? Right. Because everybody's going to know it's a lie. We, we can pick up on inauthenticity for the most part pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. obviously there's always people who can pull the world over our eyes, but for the most part, like, especially when you're talking about friendship. And so we need to grow in holiness mm-hmm. so that we can help others grow in holiness. Yeah. We just solved all the world's problems. Way to go. Well, I think you did a great job with that father Blatchford. Well, I guess it's uh, the final episode then. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's nothing else to discuss. <laughs> there's nothing else to talk about. Just become holy so that you can help others to become holy and then all the world's problems go away well i guess you well, can thank you, could, you for you can cover tangents of holiness yeah <laughs> individual Sorry. stories of it and how they got to no that's true that's true well listen uh father blatchford thank you for the the good work that you're doing with courage international uh folks My check work. out the links for courage in the show notes and uh support that mission because it is it's really tremendous and it's a beautiful thing that we have um, in the in the life of the church don't believe the liars that say that the church is opposed, that the church hates, or that the church is changing things. Instead, see what the church is actually doing through Father Colin Blatchford, through the Courage Apostolate, and through all the different people who are involved in striving to live holy lives. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to further support The Tangent, please consider subscribing or following on your preferred platform following us at the tangent underscore Catholic on Instagram, or even donating at VeritasCatholic.com. See you next time. God bless.